So, good afternoon. It is afternoon now. Yeah. So, I wanted to share this um, verse from the Pali Canon that was translated by a particular monk who tends to see things a little bit differently than other folks. So he, um, he used a little bit different phrasing, and I like it. So here's the verse. Let one not trace back the past or yearn for the future yet to come. That which is past is left behind. Unattained is the yet to come. But that which is present, he discerns with insights as it is and when it comes. The immovable, the non-irritable. In that state should the wise one grow. Today itself should one make effort. Tomorrow death may come, who knows? For no bargain can we strike with death who has his mighty hosts. But one who dwells thus ardently, by day, by night, untiringly, him the tranquil sage has called the ideal lover of solitude. I love that phrase, the ideal lover of solitude. Um, it's an interesting idea, this, what is ideal solitude? Um, there's certainly a way in which our practice is something that we engage with by ourselves, with others, but by ourselves. And so I wanted to touch also on a, on a story um, that's also given in a different teaching about a monk whose name is given simply as Elder. Um, we don't know who, who he was exactly, but the other monks called him Elder. And his way of practicing was that he did everything alone. And he, uh, he said that he would go on alms round alone and eat alone and practice alone. Um, even though he was a member of the Sangha, that was, he, he liked to do things by himself. And he told the Buddha that he was doing this because he was following the instructions on uh, solitude, you know, on really undertaking, uh, really understanding solitude completely. So he did everything alone. And the Buddha said, well, um, he, he didn't uh, disparage what he'd done. He said, okay, you know, that's definitely a way that we can be in solitude and can be protective of our silence and our concentration. But then he went on to give a teaching where he pointed to a different kind of solitude, which is one where we live apart from suffering, but not apart from anything else. And so there was, you know, he said maybe a deeper understanding would come if you would go ahead and do things with other people, but have a way in which they, those things didn't cause you to suffer, so that you could be completely with the flow of life, um, but in solitude. And he called it a form of solitude to have a heart that's free, which means that it's not clinging, it's not identified, it's not um, reactive. And that actually is what makes us the most available, interestingly, and the most solitudinous. <laughs> is that a word? <laughs> uh, I made it up. So there are echoes of this in other 
other teachings, like for example from the um, Mangala Sutta, which is a discourse on what are the highest blessings that we can have in our life. And, you know, they're, they're very practical. They start out with um, things like being in the presence of wise people and directing oneself well and developing uh, a skill that you do in your livelihood and doing it well and speaking well and then eventually we get up to generosity and uh, hearing the Dharma and being grateful and patient and eventually um, practicing sort of more fully practicing in uh, austerity is the word used but it could be like going on a retreat or you know really dedicating ourselves (coughs) to practice and then finally the last verse or the second to last verse that that gives what uh, another example of the highest blessing would be goes like this a mind that when touched by the ways of the world is unshaken sorrowless dustless secure this is the highest good fortune so we get to this point where the mind this is describing the mind of the arahant but we can imitate that and any of us at our own level of a mind that's um, non-reactive that's able to be with things that just doesn't get ruffled unruffled is a word that's sometimes used about how people observe the monks living oh they seem so unruffled <laughs> it's nice right just just that easy way of being. Um, And it's interesting that that's considered a form of solitude. And then the final verse, by the way, in the Mangala Sutta says that um, people go everywhere in well-being who who have completed the practice. They go everywhere in well-being. There's nowhere where they're going to get upset. There's nowhere that's going to be impossible for them to be mindful and, and be wise. So this idea of, um, of solitude and, and developing our practice by ourselves is stressed quite heavily in the teachings. And sometimes I think that it can be a little bit misinterpreted in our highly individualistic culture, because you remember um, these teachings were given originally in uh, ancient Indian culture, which is a lot more group-oriented than the modern West. It's just just different ways of, of being. I don't think one is necessarily better than the other, actually, but um, the question is, what do we need to hear in order to help us let go of the ways that we're attached or the ways that we've conceptualized our world that are confining us? And so... I think maybe some of the emphasis on the uh, individuality was because the group, group think can be very confining, actually. If you're a member of this clan and this family and you do this work because your family's done it for 18 generations, that's a limiting view, is it? You know, this is my place in the world, my, my part of the group. Uh, and so he said, you know, you have to do this by yourself. You have to achieve this kind of solitude. Um, helps lift the mind out of those conditioned ways of thinking. 
And what about for us, um, where we're, we live in a world that says you have to do everything by yourself, and you're better if you're an individual, um, you should make your mark on the world, and you should go and follow your heart and do your own thing. This is also confining, actually. This is also conditioning by the culture. And so what do we need to hear to let go of that? Interestingly, one might say, well, just the opposite. You know, we need all the teachings on community and on, and we do in many ways. Um, we need teachings on being part of a group. We need teachings on um, letting go of our own needs in order to serve something, uh, some groups that are bigger than us. I think those are all helpful. But um, just like this monk, which translated the passage his own way, um, I'm going to throw in a different monkey wrench and say that I think what would help us to some degree let go of our conditioned individuality is uh, more faith, more sense of you may be reeling if you come from a background where you're trying to uh, not have as much of that. But there's also a, a thread running through the teachings that is we're, we don't actually do our own awakening. We have to make the effort. That's what all these teachings are about. You have to do the sitting. No one can sit for you any more than someone could pee for you, for example, as my teacher likes to say. But in the end, there's something that we're attuning to that is not us. And we have to get out of the me and the I'm achieving and I'm going to get enlightened and I have this amount of wisdom and I've attained these certain experiences in practice or something. It's not about gaining anything, actually. It's about losing enough of that so that we can get that bigger sense. And so, um, you know, what is it that we can give ourselves over to that is not us, but is also not a limiting group identity in some way? What could be even bigger than that? The Dharma points beyond any of those conditioned ways of thinking to something that's a wholly other way of being, a transformation of our psychology so that we aren't limited by any of those concepts. And there is a certain solitude in changing our mind completely, being willing to let go of everything that we know about our position in the world, um, piece by piece. We don't do it all at once. Um, but I encourage some radicalness in uh, looking beyond the usual ways of seeing things. The ideal lover of solitude may be the person who can tune into something that comes only when our individual heart is very still. Let one not trace back the past or yearn for the future yet to come. That which is past is left behind, unattained is the yet to come. So we also let go of our sense of there's a story, there's a past, we're going to this future. That which is present is what we discern with insight as and when it comes. So just dealing with this as it is.
So what is it that we need to let go into in order to open to something that's not us? Maybe then we'll find our our ideal love of our own heart, of our own opening mind. Yeah, these are the thoughts that are, are on my heart today. I wonder if there's anything coming to mind for you. Maybe we'll create something larger than any of us. I was wondering about the difference between solitude and loneliness. Mm. Because they're often conflated, but I, I don't think they're the same thing at all. I don't either. How do you see them as different? Solitude very positively, um, like the silence of a retreat, mm-hmm. or even the silence, the stillness in a sit like this. Yeah, it's quite silent in this room. But you feel it, right? You yeah. feel it in the room. And uh, the loneliness, um, I think of more like times when I've been homesick or um, deprived of other company when uh, I I wanted it. But I also um, like being around people. So I I kind of, I I don't think I would be that guy that you were talking about who wanted to do everything by himself. Right. <laughs> On the other hand, um, I do like solitude, and I think there's a great value in, in the solitude. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was actually very nicely said. The one thing uh, I would highlight is that when you talked about loneliness, you said that it was a time when you wanted there to be people and there weren't. So there was a wanting. Yeah. Whereas in the solitude, there isn't a wanting. There's a contentment with it. So that might be the only difference, is our psychological relationship to it. That's a good word, contentment. Yeah. Yeah. And there can be contentment with others, or contentment alone. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Sometimes people do conflate those. Regarding your talking about faith, I've heard this um, saying, there is no God and he helps us across the river. What was it? There is no God and he helps us across the river. Okay. And he helps us across the river. Yeah. Mm. How do you see that phrase? Oh, I see it as accepting the paradox. Mm. Questioning the authoritarian model, and yet recognizing that there is such a thing as as learning from a source larger than us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
think we could hold something like that. You know, there's nobody does this for us, and yet we're not doing it either. Um, there is no, there is no one making the effort, but effort is being made. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's one other year. Oh, yes. Hi, Kitty. So, I really appreciate your talk. Um, and right at the end, I was thinking like, that I, I really need that and that, that element to save myself. And I often use just dropping in the word love, making a kind of thing, and it really is really like a bomb that helps me. Yeah, there are many, you highlight so nicely that our mind can enter into states. It's not like some um, really mystical and obscure thing. There, We can call forth things like love or compassion which uh, have a sense of being larger than ourselves. These are more universal kind of emotions compared to the more specific ones that we often experience in reaction to our days. So this can be something very simple and immediate, is to bring in something uh, that doesn't feel like it's only about our small personal self. Yeah, thank you. It's like a balm, as you said, I like that. Appreciated the uh, the line, the lover of ideal solitudes. Yeah. And um, for me, I came from a very large family. My life has been very chaotic up to retirement, and it's kind of like I'm doing a, a U-turn or or flipping life over, and it's kind of for me to want to be alone now because I've never <laughs> I mean it's like well that's yeah. silly to say but it's kind of like I'm gaining the ability to be to be present with other people because I'm spending a lot of time meditating and uh, it's a uh, a new terrain for me, and uh, you know, there's still a part of me, the driver, and the, you should be doing something, you know, it's like you've got a lot of life left in you, and then I say, oh, but I just like being still, and um, someone else mentioned the uh, silence, you know, silence for me is very loud in a way that helps me understand it's expansive you know that it brings me into that sense of being included in everything thank you this sounds like a very good new direction for you and for everyone in your life yeah
you're talking about solitude and um, loneliness, the first thing that came to mind for me, I love being alone, I love solitude, but I think that with regards to loneliness, I always think of feelings. That's not something when you have those feelings and then there's that feeling of loneliness because it's impossible for someone to feel what you're feeling. They can't, so there's that, that loneliness. That to me is the difference between solitude and loneliness, the feelings. Like the fact that your experience is unique and so of course yeah. nobody else can quite, yeah. yeah. So you, is that aloneness you feel there? Yeah, there is that aspect of practice actually when we really come to realize that um, our experience is totally unique. Yeah. Um, and even try, there's no way we can convey it in words. And even if we could, there would still be that time gap between right. sharing it. So the actual moment when we have the experience is completely only this. Um, but the part about feeling loneliness because of that is actually an addition on top of that. It doesn't have to feel that way. But I, I felt that also, hmm. and especially when one has some sort of you know more of a spiritual approach. It can start to feel like, wow, you know, does anybody else? Feel something like this. Or yeah. Just someone even reaches out mm -hmm. to you. It's just that it dissipates that that feeling, that that feeling of gratitude because you you know they're reaching out. They may not quite understand. Yeah. It's just the fact that someone reaches out to you and that feeling of loneliness, of nobody else knowing what that feels like, just kind of dissipates. Can dissipate. Softens. Yeah. So there can be times when another person can do that for us, yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.